most of you know that today is Memorial Day weekend. And so um, we just want to take a minute before we get into the scriptures to honor all of those family members who uh, have maybe lost someone in the service. It's an incredible picture, don't you think, of Christ and the way that he sacrificed his life for all of us. Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And in our servicemen and women, we see people that actually do that. They, they lay down their lives for our protection, for our freedom. And I'm so grateful for those people and for their families. And so I just wonder, any military families in the room today, and maybe even those of you that may have lost someone in service, which I'm not going to make you stand up, but just if you're a military family, just lift up your hand really quick. Look at it. Just lift it up high. Don't be ashamed. We're proud of you. We're thankful. Come on, let's give these guys a big hand. We love you and appreciate you, and thank you for everything that you've done. Now, if you would, everybody, let's just take a second and let's pray uh, over these guys. Can you, will you join me today here? Heavenly Father, we love you and thank you for incredible men and women who sacrifice all, who give up time, who give up energy, who give up years of their life in the service of other people. Lord, today we're honored by that, and we know that the people who do that, they look like you. And Lord, thank you. Thank you that there are people who are willing to do that. Now, today, would you be near all of those, those families that are serving in the military, those that have people overseas and all over the world protecting us and our freedoms. God, today, would you be near them and comfort them and give them your blessing and your grace. Father, for those that have paid the ultimate sacrifice and have family members who have given their lives in the service of our country, today, Lord God, would you let them feel the warmth of your embrace and the smile on that sacrifice, and would you strengthen them on this Memorial Day? God, this isn't a weekend where we take time off of work. This is a weekend where we remember those who have given all. Thank you for them. Bless their families today. And Lord, we now we ask that you would bless this word and that you would speak through me and hear through them and do what you want to do in our hearts and lives today. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Um, so we, uh, in my house, we like to watch this show um, on Monday nights. It's called Running Wild with Bear Grylls. How many of you seen this show? It is fantastic. It's a great family show, and we all like to watch it and imagine what it would be like if we were out there. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the concept, Bear Grylls is a he's British Special Forces, and he's done pretty much everything. You may have seen him on, uh, he had a show called Man vs. Wild back in the day where he would just go show you how to survive, and he would do terrible things to himself. He would eat the worst things. He would put himself through miserable circumstances to teach people how to survive. Well, now... He takes celebrities on his new show, and he takes them on a two-day experience to do some of that with him. And they are mortified. <laughs> takes them out of the Hollywood Hills, plops them into the wilderness somewhere in crazy ways. He may, he may attach them to a chopper and fly them out there while they're just standing on the skids, freaking out. He may, uh, this last week, he took this lady and he, he attached her to a harness and they had like a parasailing thing with a big fan. I don't know what you call it, but he made her run and they flew on this parasailing thing with a massive fan strapped to his back and they flew for like 50 miles into the wilderness out in Spain. It was amazing and she was freaking out. And then he makes them do horrible, horrible things. Like they have to hike and they have to repel and they have to climb and they have to do all these things that they are not used to. They're completely out of their element. And then there comes a point in every show where Bear, on the journey, he'll find something that they can use later for dinner. And it's always so exciting. 
My favorite one was when he found some, uh, there just was some animal droppings, and he picked them up and he put them in the pocket of the celebrity to hold for later. And then they came upon a dead rabbit that had been eaten by a vulture or something. Maybe it was a bird, but no, it was a bird because it had a bunch of seeds in it that were undigested, and it was kind of ripped open. Welcome to church, everybody. And, and he scooped out the seeds out of the inside of that bird and shoved them in the other pocket and then kept those for dinner. So later for dinner, he boiled all of that up in a stew. And they just sat around the fire and shared stories and ate together. It's awesome. If you don't watch it, you have to watch it. Well, this past week, he had a woman named Lena Headey. Lena Headey is from the show Game of Thrones. Um, I, don't, I haven't watched Game of Thrones. I don't really know much about it. I understand it's a little rough. Zach told me all about it, though. Um, <laughs> I'm sure some of you are familiar with it, but I, I, I haven't watched it. But she's on Game of Thrones, and and she was talking about how, because they sit and they kind of share, you know, there's nothing like the wilderness and a campfire to get you talking. And so they're sitting around the fire and, and they start sharing and he asked her, so you got to do all these press junkets and you got you to talk to a bunch of people, uh, all these journalists when you've got a new season coming out. How are you with that? And she said, I'm terrible at it. I hate it. She said, and then she came in to relay this story where she was in a, one of those settings, journalists filling the room, and one of the journalists stood up to ask her a question and he said, uh you're really disappointing in real life. I know, the nerve. And then he proceeded to say, and is that your real hair? Because she she's, a, she's a brunette, and she has, she's blonde in, in the show. Is that your real hair? Because you look way better in the wig. Like, that was his opening statement to her. The nerve of some people. But as you and I go around our life, day to day, week to week, month to month, Particularly online, we see that kind of behavior a lot, don't you think? Have you ever read the comments in, oh, I don't know, anything ever written on social media ever? Have you ever read any of those? There's always somebody that just jumps out with cruelty and meanness and awfulness to people. And people are saying like, I like to eat cheeseburgers. Some stupid statement, then people jump on them and pummel them. Do you know what those cows have to... And I get all of that. There's important issues. But it's okay for somebody to just say they like a cheeseburger. I'm a youth pastor. I have been for a long time. Uh, in fact, I still consider myself somewhat one because we really believe in young people around here at this church. And um, yuck, yuck. And so, <laughs> so youth pastors are infamous for this especially in the 90s and early 2000s. They're real sarcastic. And it's their way of connecting with kids. Oh, nice haircut. Oh, where'd you get that? Edward Scissorhands. Nobody knows what Edward Scissorhands is anyway. But, <laughs> but, but, but they try to connect in that way by being mean and poking fun at kids. And it turns them away. It's not helpful. In fact, I've watched many a kid in many a conference or a youth retreat that I was speaking at, and the kid would kind of go, <laughs> as the rest of his friends were laughing at him, and he turned away dejected. You'll see it in the political landscape that we're in, don't you? I mean, just watch any news show ever that talks about politics at all, and it gets heated really, really, really quickly. Some of you may even know it in your own family. Maybe you come from a family that didn't necessarily speak life over you, but tended to tear you down and, and say bad things to you and discourage you in your life. If you look on social media, it's everywhere. Online bullying is becoming a major problem in our schools. 
Uh, now it almost seems like everybody's a bully. <laughs> Everybody at some point is a troll, is a bully, has to say something mean or cruel to people. And maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm a sensitive little sheep. But I don't think so, because I think you've seen it and experienced it too. Especially YouTube. Dude, don't read the comments in YouTube, just don't. It's terrible. All over our world, it seems like, all over our nation, it seems like we have this epidemic of criticism, of negativity, of tearing other people down. And what really gets disturbing to me is, is that a lot of times, especially on social media and Facebook in particular, you can't tell the Christians from anybody else. You can't tell the Jesus followers from anybody else because somebody says something that somebody disagrees with and boom, I'm going to make sure that I bring you to your knees. And I think that's a problem. We often participate in this tearing of people down in our culture. But as followers of Jesus, everybody, we have a mandate to come out of the world and be separate, to be different to look different, to speak different, to smell different, to, to be different than everybody else, which means that a lot of times we opt out. We opt out of different things that are happening in our culture because as followers of Jesus, they are inappropriate for us. We have to remember that we're just passing through here. We're not citizens of here. We are citizens of heaven. That is our full-time destination. We live under another kingdom. We live under the upside-down kingdom of God, where if you want to be first, you got to be the last. If you want to be the greatest, you got to be the servant of all. If you want to save your life, then you have to give your life away. That's who we are. And so we live differently. We opt out of some things in the world. We live in the opportunity that we have to live in that upside-down kingdom. We bring light into darkness. We speak life where there is death. And in Romans chapter 15, which is where we are today, two more weeks, everybody, and we're wrapping up Romans. It's been a long three years, hasn't it? <laughs> today we're in Romans chapter 15, and Paul is telling us how to do exactly what I'm talking about, to opt out and instead to build other, other people up. Romans 15, verses 1 through 3, here we go. It says, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. And not to please ourselves. We don't do it for us. We do it for them. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good. Here it is. To build them up. For even Christ did not please himself. We'll come back to that. You and I, we who are strong, we who are followers of Jesus, we have we've kind of figured some of this out by the grace of God and the spirit of God working within us. Most of us are those people. We are Jesus followers. And so our mandate is to help others, not for our own good, not for our benefit, not for anything that we receive in return, but we do all of this simply because it's what Christ did for us. Even Christ didn't come to please himself. Even Christ didn't come for his own benefit. He came to do what? To serve. All the power, all the authority, everything that he had, and he used it to serve us. And that's what Paul is saying that we should do too. Listen to it in the message version. It says, those of us who are strong and able in the faith, need to step in and lend a hand to those who falter. And not just do what's most convenient for us. Strength is for service, not status. Each one of us needs to look after the good of the people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? That's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't make it easy for himself by avoiding people's troubles, but waded right in and helped out. Don't you love that? Did you hear it? I love that one line in there, and it's something that I want us to remember today. 
Strength is for service, not status. As a follower of Jesus, you use your strength in him to bless the other people around you instead of cause them to stumble. He says each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up, to lift them up. We shouldn't live with our focus that's just here, right here on all of us. My needs, my family, my concerns, my worries, my paycheck, my job, my car, my house. And it's really easy to get wrapped up in all of that. But instead, we turn it around and we live our lives for the good of other people. Constantly, as followers of Jesus, asking the question, how can I help? How can I help? And not just, not just saying to people, but just thinking in your mind every day at work. How can I help that person? How can I help my cubicle mate? How can, I help, how can I help my manager? How can I be of service today? We live for the good of our neighbors, and we want to build them up. And he's not specific here. He just says neighbors, the people around us to our right and to our left. So hopefully today you're hearing it, and, and hopefully it's fairly convincing. Okay, okay, okay. We can't live the way that we have been living. We've got to opt out of this current culture of negativity and criticism. But how do we do it? How do we build each other up? How do we live lives that actually encourage each other? Because probably most of us, we don't naturally do that well. Especially when everybody else is such idiots. <laughs> oh, you are there. Okay, I was just checking. Just checking. That's exactly what we're not supposed to do. The idea in chapter 15 that we just read, it's actually the conclusion of what was started in chapter 14. And I want to read it in the message version really quick. Go with me. It should be on the screen so you can read it. Here we go. Romans 14, 13 says, forget about deciding what's right for each other. Here's what you need to be concerned about, that you don't get in the way of somebody else, making life more difficult than it already is. I'm convinced, Jesus convinced me that everything as it is in itself is holy. We, of course, by the way we treat it or talk about it, can contaminate it. If you confuse others by making a big issue over what they eat or don't eat, you're no longer a champion with them in love, are you? These, remember, are persons for whom Christ died. Would you risk sending them to hell over an item in their diet? Don't you dare let a piece of God-blessed food become an occasion of soul poisoning. God's kingdom isn't a matter of what you put in your stomach, for goodness sake. It's what God does with your life as he sets it right, puts it together, and completes it with joy. Your task is to single-mindedly serve Christ. Do that, and you'll kill two birds with one stone, pleasing the God above you and providing your worth to the people around you. So let's agree to use all our energy in getting along with each other. Help others with encouraging words. Don't drag them down by finding fault. You're certainly not going to permit an argument over what's served or not served at supper to wreck God's work among you, are you? I said it before and I'll say it again. All food is good, but it can turn bad if you use it badly. If you use it to trip others up and send them sprawling. When you sit down to a meal, your primary concern should not be to feed your own face, but to share the life of Jesus. I love that. It shouldn't be this. It should be to share the life of Jesus. So be sensitive and courteous to the others who are eating. Don't eat or say or do things that might interfere with the free exchange of love. Cultivate your own relationship with God, but don't impose it on others. You're fortunate if your behavior and your belief are coherent. But if you're not sure, if you notice that you're acting in ways inconsistent with what you believe, some days trying to impose your opinions on others, other days just trying to please them, then you know that you're out of line. If the way you live isn't consistent with what you believe, then it's wrong. It's a big idea that Paul is tackling here. And he's talking about an issue that was happening in this church in Rome. He's talking about this issue where people were arguing over whether or not they could eat food sacrificed to idols or not. And they were talking about, can we eat this food that 
that uh, these animals weren't killed properly in, kosher, in the kosher way. Can we eat them or not? And Paul is addressing that in this passage, and he's giving us some instruction on how to do that or how to opt out of that to protect our neighbors. Let's keep going. There's two, I think, key verses here. Romans 14, 19, which we re- just read. So let's agree to use all our energy, everybody, in getting along with each other. Help others with encouraging words. Don't drag them down by finding fault. We could just camp on that and just be done today. And if we could do this, we could do some great stuff in our culture. But there's another key verse, I think, Romans 15, 2, which we read at the beginning. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. Last week, Pastor, Ta- pa- Pastor Toss, <laughs> that's a new one. I like it. I'm going to call him that later. Last week, Pastor Ross, he talked about us having the right attitude towards people when they disagree with us over some kind of minor issue. But here, Paul is taking it to the next level. And he's saying, it's not enough for you just to have a good attitude towards them. You've got to go even further and live with the right kind of action towards them. And it's a mandate for us as believers. It's not enough just to tolerate people that you don't get along with in the church. What he says is, we need to actively build each other up and encourage one another. Now listen, if there's one thing that the enemy would love to do in this church, in your family, at your work, it's to get a group of people mad at a group of people and have them fight and get upset and, and, and do ridiculous things to one another and cause people to take off. He would love to do those kinds of things. Pastor Ross mentioned last week that in a couple weeks I'm out for six weeks on a sabbatical that the church has decided to give proactively to all of its pastors that have been pastoring for seven years or more. And so I'm getting ready to do that. Most of you heard that. We'll talk about that more next week. But while I'm away and doing that, while that's happening, the enemy would love to sneak in and get some people stirred up against these people over here and get the upper deck people mad at the lower deck people and have them fight. You got to watch out for those kinds of things. Don't let the enemy have his way. Let's decide today. We can do this at One Chapel, Kyle. We can build one another up. So how do we do it? Because we're probably not great at it. So I think Paul gives us just a few things. Just a few things. Five things that we're going to try to do quickly to help us know how to do it. And I think the first thing that he says is, you need to aim at unity. You need to take aim at unity. Romans 14, 19 again says, so let's agree to use all our energy. Use it all. Use everything that you've got to get along with each other. Help others with encouraging words. Don't drag them down by finding fault, by pointing your fingers. In the New Living Translation, he says, so then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. If you're going to build each other up, I think he's saying you just got to make a commitment. You just have to choose. I just have to decide today. I just have to make the conscious choice to take aim at it and do my best every day at every moment to encourage the people around me. I just decided with the help of the Holy Spirit that from this day on, I'm not going to tear people down. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull out that comment. I'm not going to write it on Facebook. I'm going to write it on paper first, and I'm going to go, yeah, that's a bad idea. And I'm just not going to send it. I'm going to encourage people around me. It's going to be one of my daily goals. Can you imagine, everybody, what would happen immediately if all of us in this room and everybody coming in the second service and all the people that are on vacation on Memorial Day, if we all decided we're going to live that way? Not just in this place, but out there in our culture. But for many of us, I think our natural t- tendency is toward negativity. 
It's toward criticism because it's easy. And a lot of us have insecurities and we have things inside of us that make us put up walls and try to defend ourselves. And so if we're trying to keep people at bay because we don't want anybody to come and see, maybe I'm a little fake or I'm a phony. We've got insecurities and issues. We're trying to push people away. And so it's so much easier to say, well, you're dumb too. <laughs> so mature. So mature. I think we tend towards negativity. Negativity and criticism, it comes easy. Encouragement takes work. It takes effort. It takes intentionality. And so we just got just to start taking aim at it. Zach, here, come up here really quick. We got to start taking aim at it. Some of you have seen me do this before. But I think the way that we handle this encouragement thing a lot of times is just by happenstance. We just accidentally do it. We accidentally do it, and then we notice it and say, oh, that was pretty encouraging there just now. Like, I might say to my wife, it's like, it's like this. It's like this. I might say to my wife, this is one of the fun things about being a pastor and having a youth pastor. I, say to my, I, I can say to my wife, uh, uh, well, wow, honey, thanks. That meal, that meal wasn't that bad. Didn't taste terrible like last night. So I think, oh, oh, that, that actually was kind of encouraging. So look at me. That was, I, I said a ni- fairly nice thing. And it's like you're shooting at a target and then, oh, you can't see it, it's too small. And then you're drawing targets around and saying, oh, look, I nailed it. I did it. We take aim, we don't even take aim, we just kind of shoot something, and then we draw a circle around and say, oh, I did a great job. You know what I'm saying? You might say to your kids, uh, hey, hey, uh, well, your room doesn't smell as bad as it did yesterday. Okay. Oh, <laughs> that's a lobber. And then we go and draw a circle around and say, oh, hey, I was actually pretty encouraging to my son just now. What a good guy I am. That's not how this works. We've got to take aim at it. You say, okay, I'm going to take aim. I'm going to draw a target around it. Right on Zach's face. I'm going to draw a target around it, and now I've got something to actually aim at. Oh, so close. (laughs) Oh, so close. Bullseye. All right, get out of here. Does that make sense to you? Like, we have to take aim at it. I don't just say, oh, babe, that, that, that was the meal was pretty good. No, I say, babe, I love you so much. That meal was fantastic. One of the greatest I've ever had in my life. Okay, tone it down. One of the, it was so good. And you know what? I love you so much. Hey, tomorrow, let me take dinner. I'm going to cook dinner for you. And you know what? Right now, why don't you go sit on the couch and read a book, and I'm going to wash the dishes, which means I'm going to make the kids wash the dishes. But, <laughs> but I'm going to... I'm going to do something to appreciate it. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm going to take aim at it. I've got a purpose. I've got a reason. I'm going to say to you, man, I love you. You're the best. This is an incredible congregation that we have together. I'm so glad that we get to do this thing together. I'm aiming at unity. I'm aiming at harmony. I'm taking aim. I'm going to miss sometimes. (laughs) Not a lot, obviously, but (laughs) I'm going to miss sometimes, but I'm going to start hitting some. Rather than just being unintentional and just shooting and drawing a target, I'm going to draw a target of I'm going to be encouraging to my wife, to my children, to my church, to my coworkers, and now I'm going to start taking aim at it. And I'm going to get better and better and better. We aim at this. The only way this happens is if we just decide and we're proactive and we're intentional. And then you get better and better and better, and it's bullseyes all day. The second thing Paul says is to value everybody. In Romans 14, 15, he says... Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. This is back to that food issue. Don't by your eating destroy somebody for whom Christ died. 
Do you know that there are people that we just kind of don't value? Think about it really quick. Don't you have people that you just, if you were honest, if it was just you and me sitting over coffee, not Starbucks, somewhere better, if we were just sitting and having coffee together, and I'm sorry, if you work at Starbucks, we love your establishment. <laughs> we're really grateful for it. <laughs> Could you try not to burn it so often? Okay, um, ah, snob. Um, there, I just did it. Apparently, there's some people that I don't value very much, <laughs> and you have them too. They're driving 35 right now, <laughs> and you don't value them because they drive in the left lane, and they drive it slow. I don't know. It is a Texas thing. Get out my way. I got things to do. When I lived in Colorado, we didn't drive like that. I have a lot of issues, as you already know. You know other people that I don't value? Loud chewers. <laughs> I don't value those people. They got issues. I have a condition called misophonia, so pray for me. But that means I get really angry inside when people are chewing too loudly. I just... Sometimes I have to leave the room. It's my issue, not yours. Actually, it's more yours than mine, but whatever. Um, <laughs> You have people that you undervalue. You don't value enough. People who spoil movies. I don't value those people. Why would you want to know? And why would you tell me? Why would you tell me the ending of that movie? Like at the end of Solo, when... Just kidding. <laughs> you have these people. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm giving silly examples, but there are other people. Are there other people that you just... You, you, don't, you don't maybe think about it consciously, but, but you undervalue them. It could be the opposite sex. It could be uh, a different ethnicity than you. A different economic status than you have. And are there just things inside of us that we just kind of, we undervalue them and we elevate ourselves a little more. Paul says, value everybody. Here's the reality. Every human being was made in the image of God. Every single person that you run into day to day, they were made in the image of God. Every single person is an image bearer. What if we decided that we were going to see that in everybody, everywhere we went? That dude on 35 that won't get out my way, he's an image bearer of God. He's falling pretty short of that image right now. But I'm going to see that in him. And I'm going to pull back. They have automatic and inherent value because they are made in God's image. Every single person, nobody's left out. Even those people that really irritate you, the ones that are really obnoxious, the ones that are really frustrating, the ones that are immature, the ones that we just completely disagree with. But Paul says, remember, Jesus died for them too. Jesus died for them. Not just you, not just you, because guess what? You got issues too. Not just them. Jesus died for you and for them don't forget that. You know, the value of something is determined by the price that the purchaser is willing to pay. Right? The, 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 the one who wants to buy something, they determine how much that thing can be worth because they determine how much I'm willing to pay for that thing. I looked this up this week, and the, the highest valued piece of sports memorabilia that was ever sold was a Yankees jersey worn by Babe Ruth in the 1920 season. And it was sold for... Four million four hundred and fifteen thousand six hundred and fifty-eight dollars in two thousand and twelve. 
I would never do that. <laughs> One, I ain't got that kind of change. Two, it's not valuable to me. It's nice. I appreciate the talent. I appreciate the history. I appreciate the heritage, but I don't need to own it, and I wouldn't pay anything for it. The purchaser determines the value of the thing. How much did Jesus pay for all of us? He paid with his very life. There is inherent value. Jesus sees people as worthy of forgiveness, worthy of grace, worthy of mercy, worthy of sacrifice, worthy of love. So when you get upset, you want to bring the pain to somebody. Remember, they are made in the image of God and Jesus died for them too. And if God loves them that much, what right do I have to undervalue somebody that Jesus paid such a high price for? Yeah? Let's move quickly. Number three, focus on the main thing. Paul says, focus on the main thing. Romans 14, 16 through 18. says, therefore, don't let, do not let what you know is good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who served Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. What's Paul saying here? He's saying that the essence of following Jesus, it's not all this external stuff. It's not everything that we're doing out here. It's not what we eat and drink. It's not that. The, the essence of following Jesus is internal. It's inside. It's what's going on in here. And when you and I really start to grasp that, that what's happening in here is most important, not all this stuff that's happening on the outside, we start to see that we begin to be able to put up with quirks and faults and shortcomings because I know that Jesus is working on the inside of that person. And they got some work to do. And I got some work to do. But if I know that it's working on the inside, I know Jesus is moving and I can step back a little bit and not be so frustrated about the quirks and the faults. I'm a bit of a church nerd, which means I just like churches. I, I like to look at what other churches are doing. I like to watch other congregations. I have friends that are pastoring all over the country and, and I like, just like to find out what everybody's doing. And in all my years of kind of looking at churches and in being in hundreds of churches, I've seen something over and over and over again and it is this. The churches don't often split over major things. They tend to split over the minor things, over little insignificant things, stupid, trivial. Commonly, that's the foundation, a pew location, a hymnal, a bulletin color, like stupid things that blow up into big things and churches split over it. And you think, oh, that's stupid. That's so dumb. But you and I, we do the same thing, don't we? Think about the last fight that you had with your spouse, your significant other. Probably at the root of it was something like toilet paper. Over or under? Is it over or under? People, the Bible says over. So this shouldn't be a, it's a theological argument that's done. It just shouldn't even be. But it's so true, a little thing like that, and you, you're fighting, and you don't love me, you don't respect me, and you don't care about my opinion, and usually it goes back to some little unresolved minor thing. It's not even over the big thing here. The fight's not big. It's this small minor issue. We're all the same. You, if you're single, you're the same with your friends. You get upset and wounded about something. If you just look back, probably there was a minor thing that happened that never got taken care of, and it exploded into something bigger. These minor things can trip us up, and we have to focus on the majors don't get sidetracked by the minors. 
Stay focused on the major thing. In this church, we have people from all kinds of different backgrounds. We got Methodists, we got Catholics, we got Presbyterians and Baptists and Pentecostals and Charismatics, uh, Jewish people, we've got non-denominational, we've got unchurched people who are like, what is this guy even talking about? And by the way, we're really glad that you're here. Welcome, make yourself at home. There's a lot of differences here in this church, and we have different beliefs. Some of you are premillennialists. Some of you are pre-trib, most, uh, post-trib, mid-trib. I don't know. Some of you, are, we're all over the map. I happen to be a pan-millennialist, just for your information. I just think it's all going to pan out in the end. It's going to be fine. <laughs> That's actually probably more true than you know. Uh, <laughs> and somehow, with all those different things, we all manage to get along pretty well most of the time. Why? Because those things aren't the main things. What's the main thing? Jesus Christ himself is the main thing. And not just Jesus, but the the thing that he's doing, what Jesus is doing in the earth. Jesus came to solve this problem of separation from God. That we, by our sin, we separated ourselves, and Jesus came to bring us all back together. And now he wants to partner with you and me to see everybody on this earth find that same experience. And he wants to partner with you through his spirit to see his kingdom come into the earth until the day when it comes in fully. And right now, we get to participate in seeing that happen in our workplace, in our family, here at the church, in this theater, seeing the kingdom of God come to life. You get to do that. Don't tell me Christianity is boring. It's not. We got to keep that the focus. That's what I'm doing here. That's the point. So I can let go of some of your quirks and some of your faults, and you can let go of some of mine. Because you know what? We're about the same main thing. Jesus and him solving the problem of separation from God. I can be about that. Number four, we limit our liberty out of love, is what Paul says. Romans 14, 20. He says, don't destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it's wrong for a person to eat anything that causes somebody else to stumble. It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything that will cause your brother or sister to fall. What I think he's saying here is when my liberty, when my freedom, when it causes somebody else to stumble, when it hinders God's work in somebody else, that's a problem. And I want to make sure that it doesn't happen. If my lifestyle causes somebody else to fall away from God, I've missed the point. Paul says that he limits his liberty and he does it out of love for other people. He uses all his energy in getting along and serving other people. Remember, our goal, everybody, is to build people up. Some things things aren't necessarily wrong. Some things just aren't necessary. So I make it my goal. I'm going to prefer other people. I'm going to live my life for them. I'm going to prefer them. If something that I'm doing will cause them to stumble, I'm going to prefer them. Not out of legalism because I'm black and white because i got to do this or that. No, I do it out of love for them because I want to help them. What Paul's saying here in this verse is if we do, if all we do is focus on ourselves, that's kind of an indication of our own immaturity. An act of real spiritual maturity is to limit my freedom for the benefit of somebody else to build them up. That's one of the truest expressions of love that you can make for somebody else. When we had our first daughter, Aurora, you go through this process, don't you? You've got to baby-proof your house. You've got to buy all the little clips and, and you've got to attach them to cupboards so that you can't open them without pushing down the tab and opening it. You've got to put it on the toilet and like clamp it down so they can't, can't open it up. And What are they going to play in? I don't know. It's gross. But you... you <laughs> you got to put clamps on the toilet. And so now suddenly, you're a prisoner in your own house. 
You're waiting for this cute little baby, and they're, they're walking around, and they're having a great time, but you can't do anything. I'm trying to cook, and I'm just slamming cupboards. I can't, Maria, I can't open the cupboard. I'm, I got to go to the bathroom. I'm running into the, I'm sorry, a lot of toilet humor today. It's not good. It's not good. I'm running to the bathroom. I can't get in there. I can't open the toilet. Oh, help me, Maria. It is inconvenient. It doesn't do me any good. In fact, it hinders me. It's hard for me. But I do it anyway. Why? Because I love my kids. Because I want them to be safe. Because I don't want them to get into anything that will cause them harm. This is the same idea that Paul is saying here. Look, I limit my freedoms so that I can take care of other people around me out of love. That's maturity. Limiting our liberty, our freedom out of love for others. And it's one of the best ways that you can build other people up instead of tearing them down. And finally, number five, and you guys come on up. I think Paul says, don't force your opinions on others. Don't force your opinions on others. Romans 14, 22 says, For w- so whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. Listen, in this life that we all live, there are, there are plenty of like disputable matters. There are plenty of things in our world where the scriptures don't necessarily say anything about them. And that's a whole other conversation in itself. But there are things that are more gray as we read them in the scriptures. And so if your conscience doesn't accuse you about one of those things that the scripture does not say implicitly, then that's between you and God and you work that out. And you enjoy your freedom, but don't flaunt it. Don't flaunt it for people around you. And don't take your conviction and your conscience and try to force it on somebody else because the scripture doesn't say anything about it. We don't try to enforce those things that we live by according to our conscience. We reserve those. (laughs) I think you see this a lot in food, don't you? (laughs) Like vegans and carnivores and they're always at each other. Have you ever sat down to lunch with a vegan? I have vegans in my family, not my immediate family. Oh, thank God. But um, I'm kidding. That, I was kidding. I was just kidding. My, cu- my, my nephew Noah, he's a, he's a vegan. Oh, he was a vegan. I don't think he is. He's a vegetarian now. Um, but you sit down with those people and you start eating and you're carving into your big massive T-bone that's like, you know, medium rare and just bleeding out everywhere. And, and they're just like, You want to force that on you. Or, or, you. or sometimes, like those CrossFit people. Oh my gosh, you CrossFit people, you're crazy. Like, just, just you know, the Instagram pictures and the, why aren't you out here, bro? And trying, hey, come on, do CrossFit. No, that will kill me. I won't do that. <laughs> Don't force that on me, bro. I'm just going to take a walk around my neighborhood. I'll be fine. Jog a little bit. You really see it in parenting, too. Like, my, my wife and I, we, when early when we came to Austin, we went over to this family's house, and they're real big on a certain way of parenting. And, uh, and so my daughter, Aurora, she left her sippy cup in the car. And, and she's like, Daddy, cup, thirsty. And I was like, oh, where is it? It's in the car? You left it in the car. Okay, all right, fine, I'll go get it. And this lady that we were over at her house, first time we're really meeting them, she looked at me and she said, fail! <laughs> That's what I said. 
but I proceeded to get her back for the rest of the evening because Ewan was a terror at the dinner table. Wouldn't eat their food, was like throwing stuff around, screaming and crying. It was an awesome night. <laughs> but we kind of do that to people. We've got this, this way that we think about something that's not implicit in the scripture. And so we try to apply it onto other people. And that's not helpful. Don't flaunt it. Don't, don't try to push something that's not clear. If that's for you, that's great. Live that with the Lord and keep that between you and him. But you can't enforce that on other people. Churches and believers and friends, we all go really wrong when we try to do that. It's not helpful. All this that I'm saying today is just simply about loving other people, just loving the people around us, preferring them, not just living life for yourself. Let's read that verse one more time here. Romans 5, 1 through 2. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ didn't please himself. Christ, he lived this way for all of us. So Paul is saying, take the path that Jesus took. Self-humiliation, renouncing your own rights, giving your life away. This is the same path that Jesus' followers have to walk as we seek to be like him. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you are an apprentice to Jesus, your mandate is to watch out for them, to build other people up, because that's what Jesus did and still does today. Let's opt out. Just opt out. Opt out of the culture of criticism. Opt out of the culture of negativity. Opt out. Opt out of the culture of judgment. Don't let that be you. It's not necessary. And if you're doing that consistently, listen, you're just not fulfilling that part of your mandate, but it's not too late. You can still do it. This is our responsibility to lift people up, to encourage others. Why don't you close your eyes for a minute? Everybody, I know that here at One Chapel Kyle, we can be hope where there's despair. I know that we can be light where there's darkness. I know that we can be life where there is death in the world around us. Our strength is for service, not our own status. Our strength is for service, not status. And so probably the reality is that some of us today, we need a fresh start in this because we've kind of lived in the culture. We've just, it just kind of sucks you in. We've just, we've just allowed ourselves to become like the other people around us instead of becoming more like Jesus. And now, here, today, we have the opportunity to repent and start with a clean slate and get back on track as an apprentice to the Lord Jesus. So let's just do it. All over the room here, if that's you, just take a moment right now in the silence and say, Jesus, forgive me. I've been critical. I've been negative. I've been judgmental. Help me to understand why I'm doing that. Do I have an insecurity? Do I feel inferior? Am I trying to protect myself? All those things, I don't want. I want to live the life you did, so I want to give my life away. So I don't have to protect my life, you do it. So God, forgive me for this. 
And now by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you forgive me and help me to live this life of positivity and walking around saying, how can I help? How can I help? How can I help? And using my strength in you for service and not my own status. Thank you in Jesus' name.